You're listening to a Called Collective Podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. To learn more about the Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Grace Podcast. I hope you had a great Christmas break, vacation, or just Christmas if you didn't do anything, and a Happy New Year. Uh, We are launching right back into the start of this year, diving into another season of the Christian year. We're in part three of the Living Christ series, and we're going to talk about the season of Epiphany. In fact, today is January 6th, which is the beginning of Epiphany, the day we're recording this. So we're right after this podcast, Dr. Reif and I are going to burn our Christmas trees out (laughs) back uh, because Christmas is over. It's time to put them away. Just kidding. But uh, like I said, Epiphany is today. So we're excited to launch into this. Uh, My guest doesn't need an introduction. But Dr. Reif, thank you for being back on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I'm excited to talk about Epiphany because like we were talking about right before this started, Epiphany is one of those seasons where it's it's either hit or miss, where it's celebrated completely, whether it's even called Epiphany. So let's, let's just dive right into it. Um, many people probably don't even know what the word Epiphany means. Uh, I know I had a general understanding of what it means only because I saw an episode of the TV show Scrubs. So for those that don't know, Scrubs is a very interesting uh, TV show. <laughs> it's a hospital comedy drama, you know, fourth wall thing. It's 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 funny. It's crude, but it's funny. And there's one episode where uh, the janitor of the hospital puts a toilet on the roof of the hospital And he calls it the epiphany toilet. And throughout the episode, there are characters that go up to this toilet, which has no walls. It's just open on the roof. And they're just sitting there when all of a sudden, the solution to their problems they're having that episode strikes them in a moment. And they they have this music that goes, (laughs) and then, boom, all the problems of the world are solved. And then for some reason or other, the epiphany toilet has to be taken off the roof. So it's never talked about again. But that's my interaction with the word epiphany. Dr. Reif, with that introduction in mind, what does epiphany mean? Yeah. Well, in a, I don't know, a roundabout way. That I mean, it's not so far-fetched. Um, the uh, You said that the solution to their problem is realized. And honestly, in Epiphany, that is kind of what happens. Um, Epiphany can mean, like, I think uh, how Scrubs interpreted it and probably how we use the term a lot, like, I had an Epiphany. Some new idea or solution, answer comes to mind, and whatever problem you're facing, you're able to have a solution to it. Um, That is one of the meanings um, and is appropriate for understanding the season of epiphany as kind of a bunch of these um, 
I don't want to call them toilet moments. Right. Maybe a light, <laughs> light bulb moments. <laughs> I don't know if I started this off very well. <laughs> um, but but multiple times where you are, humanity was facing a problem, and God's solution to that was to come and to live with us, mm. and that's a pretty big epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we celebrate that throughout the season. Uh, through looking at Jesus' life here on earth, through a lot of different moments where he interacts with uh, our fallen nature, where he heals us, where he um, loves us, corrects, yeah, Yeah. teaches. Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's a big part of epiphany. It also means that the manifestation of a deity, and so Jesus is the epiphany yeah um and so uh yeah a kind of some double meaning there but that's a quick summation of what the word means so would you say that's the theme of epiphany yeah um and and i'd say the invitation that epiphany gives to the church is an invitation to wonder mm. um sometimes when we have epiphanies uh it's like the answer was hiding and then all of a sudden we saw it. Mm. And I think that's kind of um, it's kind of what's happening. It's not that God was hiding or that he's even hiding in Jesus. He was always there. It's more that we just didn't see it. We just you opened know? our we eyes. We opened our Yeah. And so that's kind of what's happening in Epiphany is our eyes are being opened by Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, to see that God has always been at work and is working. Um, we took the red pill like in the yeah. Matrix. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but what you're what you're saying, yes. So there's this this build up to that moment right before the end of the season of Epiphany mm-hmm. uh, on Transfiguration Sunday, where uh, Moses and Elijah and Jesus mm-hmm. are on the mountain, and and all of a sudden the disciples are like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah. That's him. Yeah, it's kind of a. I don't know. I. I always, I always think that um, the Christian year is like the greatest story. And mm. I, and whenever like my wife and I will watch movies, it's very easy for us to make connections between <laughs> movies and the Christian year <laughs> yeah. because every good story follows the same Absolutely, pattern. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and so we always call, I don't know. One of my favorite movies growing up was the Lion King. Oh yes. And there's this scene where, so Simba has, um, like he's running away, and there's there's this scene of um, he grows up, mm-hmm. and it's a. I mean, the scene itself is probably a matter of thirty seconds to a minute. The They're montage singing, yeah. of him growing up with Timon and Pumbaa, yeah. right? Yeah, and so you see this like we already watched like this. Um, kind of the unfolding of his life and then the predicament that Mm -hmm. happened and then he kind of runs from that predicament and then there's doing a very good job of not spoiling the lion king for anybody yeah if you haven't seen it now might be the time because you know that was almost 30 years ago 25 years ago at this point oh and um but there's a scene where there's this quick, we aren't watching every second. We're watching like the highlights of mm. him growing up. That's kind of this season of epiphany. Mm. We get to, we get all these highlights um, because I mean, honestly, 
in the gospels, like a large portion of Jesus's life is left out. I mean, we get the first like two years, then we get this short little verse that he grew in wisdom and stature. And then 30 years later, like we pick up with him and it's like, he's getting baptized yeah. in the river. And then, <laughs> yeah. And so I always think in any movie where you see that, like that montage scene of where some, some development or some just like the ordinary living of life happens like that's the season of epiphany in every story <laughs> so rocky rocky's yeah. <laughs> workout montage <laughs> exactly you know like this this has to happen like we need to see that this was his regular life before Absolutely, we get you yeah. know so anyway that's kind of that's kind of the season of epiphany but what i appreciate about the season is that yeah we start with um Usually the the day of Epiphany, uh, the beginning of the season, we'll look at um, three primary stories, the Magi visiting, um, the baptism, and the wedding at Cana. Mm. So these three stories, the Magi, the baptism of Jesus, and the wedding at Cana, some of this is, I mean, the Magi is uh, kind of this declaration that Jesus is the king Mm. of Israel, the king they've all been waiting for uh then this the baptism is god's declaration um that this is my, that this son, is my son whom i love whom mm-hmm. i yeah and and in mark and luke it's very specific that god says you are my son and you i find great joy mm-hmm. so he's speaking to jesus um i'll come back to that in a second and then the wedding at Cana is kind of the start of Jesus' ministry. The archetype of all the miracles that are going to follow come out of this one. This idea that Jesus takes um, water and transforms it into something new. Mm. That's That archetype of every miracle is taking something that is ordinary or that exists and is transforming it into something better and sweeter. Mm. Um, so that's the archetype of every miracle that follows. So those are the three primary stories of Epiphany. Epiphany ends with the retelling of the transformation, um, transfiguration, sorry, where Jesus is transformed, that his appearance is transformed um, into uh, this bright light and, and as white as snow, this um, uh, where we see him in all his glory. Mm-hmm. And what's significant about this is, uh, well, one, he's talking to Moses and Elijah who have been dead for a long time. Right. <laughs> but Moses... I always think it's interesting. Like he's in the promised land. Mm. That's kind of a, he finally made it, Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, even if it was <laughs> in whatever form he was. Um, but anyway, he got in on technicality. He, he got it. <laughs> but uh, God says to the disciples, this is my son. Mm. Listen to him. Mm. Uh, and so I think it's interesting that at the beginning of epiphany, the father's talking to his son kind of like, this is your identity, this Mm -hmm. is who you are. And then at the end, he's confirming that to us to say, hey, y'all, like this, I wasn't lying before, and you need to hear, like, this is my son. And then he tells us how to respond to that, and it's to listen to him. Because Peter stands up in that moment, before before the father says that, Peter stands up and says, oh my goodness, this is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Let's build a tent and three shelters, and we'll, like, stay here. which is often kind of like the practice of of any Christian. I feel like we have this like mountaintop experience and it's like, let's just live here forever. Right. This is like, we think that this is what it should be all the time. Yeah. Um, 
And then the father says, instead of saying like, yeah, stay here forever. He knows that we want to respond. He knows that like this experience is so great. Like we want to do something because of this. But instead of saying stay here forever, he says, listen to him. Mm. And then Jesus goes down the mountain. And so we follow him down the mountain. Um, and he ends up healing a demon possessed boy when he does that. Um, so again, we see this like mountaintop experience, but then he leaves that and enters the world mm-hmm. again. And so it's kind of like every mountaintop experience should be responded to not by wanting to stay there, but by carrying that experience into the world yeah. that we're a part of. Cause so often, you know, you hear the spiritual high that comes, you know, whether it's a camp conference, you know, X, Y, Z. And mm-hmm. for adults, it, it shows itself in a bunch of different ways, mm-hmm. but trying to, maintain that trying to hold on to that and you you just can't do it mm-hmm. so why would we expect that we can mm-hmm. when it never does but instead jesus models for us go back in take that mm-hmm. mountaintop experience and use it to propel you down back down the mountain mm-hmm. to continue the journey yeah um our our pastor at college church steve denef he he's um commented on the pattern of coming to church every Sunday and then having the week and then coming to church. And it's kind of the same pattern of Sunday is this um, transfiguration moment where we're stepping into the house of God. We're experiencing kind of a reality that is very, that is pretty disconnected Mm. from our, I mean, we think it's disconnected from our regular life. Um, It's uh, yeah. We see, we see Jesus and the, the, the fathers of the church, like in this moment and, um, we're inspired and like, this is great. Like we want all of our life to be like this moment, but actually that's not like, that's maybe that is the long-term goal, but it doesn't happen by staying there. It happens by us taking it into our week. Um, the Eastern Orthodox church has a phrase, uh, it's the liturgy after the liturgy Mm. and how it's spelled is the the first L of liturgy is lowercase and the second L is capital. You could also say like the worship after our worship. Mm. So the lowercase worship liturgy after the uppercase worship liturgy. Um, And it's this idea that the life of worship, our liturgical life continues after the Sunday gathering. That can't be right. That Sunday, <laughs> that Sunday is the capital liturgy, the capital worship, the transfiguration moment. Yes, and then we're sent into the world uh, to to because we've been transformed mm. by what we've experienced, and to be a channel of that um, to the world around us. And then we come back up the mountain, and then we go back down. And that that's the Christian life. It's not just this spiritual high. So it's not just go to church, right? Right. Yeah. Like I, I've, for for a long time, when it comes to ministry and things like that, there are a lot of pastors out there that they focus on getting people into the church for Sunday service, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. Instead of equipping uh, the people, the, the saints of the church to do the work of ministry, mm-hmm. to give the tools to to share the knowledge, to teach how can we best show Christ Mm -hmm. out in the world. Mm -hmm. My youth group when I was growing up uh, was called No Show. Um, 
And the way it breaks down is uh, knowing Christ and showing Christ. And I think that is another, that's another way to, to put it is you come on Sunday and you come to know Christ, mm-hmm. to, to absorb more of the knowledge of Christ, to, to get the tools needed to do the work of showing Christ out, out mm-hmm. into the world. Yeah. And I think right now the church does a, not all churches, but there is a good chunk of churches that don't do a good job of showing Christ out. And, and not just, it's not the pastor's job to show Christ on behalf of everybody in the church. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the pastor's job to equip people to do the showing. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a, yeah, a responsibility of, of every person in the church to to do both and i think that i think anytime we experience like the mountain or even like down the mountain there's a there's a risk to want to stay in either of those mm. so i think you do have like a large portion of people who are saying like let's like just get people to church on sunday but then there, there's a rising population within the church who are saying, you know, actually, I don't need church at all. Yeah, I just, I just want to spend because, and honestly, like you think about the father of the boy down the mountain, like he needs Jesus to come down the mountain, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and so there's some who are saying, like, let's just stay down the the mountain and just like fix all the problems down here. Like, why right. do we need to go up there? And it's that's no, like, you need both of them. Like the one is the, um, I mean, this is the whole throughout the Bible, this whole pattern of worship is revelation response. Mm-hmm. If you are, you, you can't just live a life of response. <laughs> you need to, um, be reminded and remember the story and, um, to, to interact with God, yeah. uh, let him reveal who he is. So then you can live a life of response. Right. Um, they both inform each other. Uh, and so if you pick one, it's your, I mean, you're missing. It'd be lopsided. Yeah, it'll be mm-hmm. lopsided. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the the season of Epiphany, all the stories that go throughout, you see a lot of these themes throughout. Jesus is almost constantly on the move. Mm-hmm. Jesus never like plants his tent and stays there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there there's the scripture that says, you know, the Son of Man has no home to lay his head. Right, mm-hmm. and so Jesus is constantly moving. But Jesus is also, like you're saying, constantly moving from mountaintop to valley experiences and just mm-hmm. journeying with people throughout those and just laying the smack down on some Pharisees mm-hmm. while he's at it, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just he's just talking. He's, he's showing us, modeling for us how to live. And that's what Jesus does so well uh, mm-hmm. in the scripture. He's a role model for us. He is, he is the Christian... I put in quotes. He is the Christian to look at and yeah. to to model life after and yeah. walk like. Yeah. And the, what you're saying is so right. There, I know when I was here at Indiana Wesleyan uh, during college, there was a big conversation about, well, why would I tithe to the church when I could just give the money to where it needs to go? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, why why should I go to church when they spend so much money on just making the church stay afloat and not doing the work of ministry and thing and things like that. And it, it, it ignores the mountaintop mm-hmm. moments that are church services and church Sundays and the gathering of the people of God and just tries to move towards that down the mountain 
way of living. Mm-hmm. And it, it does produce, because I, I see it now, uh, after years after those conversations, the, the impact it's had on people who, mm-hmm. you know, have, you know, walked away from ministry, walked away from faith completely mm-hmm. in search of a humanitarian uh, mm-hmm. fix for problems instead of Jesus being the true solution, the true epiphany mm-hmm. to to the problems that are out there in the world. Yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so switching a little bit of gears, um, the season of epiphany starts January 6th. Mm-hmm. It always starts on January 6th. Yes. And it goes till when? So it goes until Ash Wednesday, um, which is the start of the season of Lent. And that is always changing. I mean, Ash Wednesday is always on a Wednesday. Um, well, that's good. That, but, <laughs> that helps the naming. Branding. Yeah. Uh, but Ash Wednesday is is based on where Easter lands. Mm. Um, and that is that's always changing. Um, and so because I mean, it's kind of based on the moon. <laughs> um, and so uh, just our seasonal cycles and. Um, and so Epiphany can be as short as four weeks, I think is the shortest it could be. Um, and as long as nine weeks, I think, wow. I think this year it's, it's a longer, I think it's eight weeks this year, if I remember right. Um, but no matter how long or short the season is, the last Sunday of Epiphany is always Transfiguration Sunday. Um, and so, uh, Yeah. Why why is there such a discrepancy in the amount of weeks? I mean, that's that's quite a a leap. Yeah. I, I know you said it's seasonal. Mhm. So the season of Epiphany ends at Ash Wednesday, but Ash Wednesday is determined by the start of Easter. And Easter uh the first Sunday of the Easter season, Easter Sunday, um is the first Sunday following the first full moon after the spring equinox, which I know is kind of complex. Well, uh, honestly, the way I know when Easter starts is when my iPhone tells me it starts. <laughs> and we can, when we get to the season of Easter, we can talk more about like that. But what basically when you, the you'll find the first Sunday of Easter and then you will go six Sundays back Mm. And that that sixth Sunday back is the first Sunday of Lent. So then the Wednesday before that Sunday is Ash Wednesday. Wednesday. And then the and then you have the season of Epiphany. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and just from year to year, that can yeah, shift very it, dramatically. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's always a, a fun <laughs> adventure. Sometimes we have a quick turnaround to the next season. Other times we get a longer amount of time. So Yeah. Well, and... You know, depending on how long the season is, you can really dig into these amazing stories that you find through the season of Epiphany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know in your book, Living Christ, which is, you know, got to plug it every single time, um, you talk about a way to engage with the season of Epiphany is to dig into the stories mm-hmm. and to dig into them well. Um, I know for me, um, when I was here, at college and I was attending Fairmount Wesleyan church. The pastor there would preach every Sunday on a story in the book of John leading up to Easter. Mm -hmm. 
And each time he would read the story from scripture, but then he would engage with the story. He would make the story more real. Mm -hmm. He would emphasize characters. He would emphasize what's going on, possibilities of what, what's going through people's heads, things like that. And that really made the text engaging. Mm -hmm. And it made it not just words on a page. Um, there's a, a, a quote from a former professor from here that talks about the, the job of a preacher is to take, uh, you know, the, the ink that used to be blood and make it blood again. I, mm. I think it, it I'm going to cut that out because that sounds so weird. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so bad. Um, but anyway, the, the pastor at uh, Fairmount, he he made the stories very engaging, and he he brought the stories to life whenever he preached about those stories, and that seems like something that the season of Epiphany focuses on heavily. Can you talk mm -hmm. about the yeah. use of stories? Yeah, so I think that it's um, one of the parts of why the season is so filled with wonder is that God is a human mm. um, and what better way to express his humanity than to retell the stories of his humanness. Mm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, throughout the season, we remember stories of Jesus. I think that sometimes our temptation is to just focus on uh, what Jesus says mm. and uh, just like every every text we read is like a lesson, like, okay, Jesus said this, so I need to do this. And which is, I shouldn't say that like <laughs> cavalier, but like, um, cause it's, I mean, it's true. He's a, he's, a but you're right. We, we focus so much on Jesus as teacher. Yeah. Not Jesus as doer. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that can be learned by just watching what Jesus does. Mm. And I, I remember a couple of years ago, I read through um, one of the Gospels, I think Mark, and I highlighted every verb attached to Jesus. Mm. So then I could just, and then I was able to make a list of um, every single thing that he did. Um, and it was just so fascinating um, to, to watch uh, who he was around, um, who he touched. Um, where he went, um, how he went. Mm. Uh, and I, it, that in itself was like, oh my goodness, I maybe knowing Christ can start by like knowing his words mm -hmm. better. I think that's definitely a part of it. But sometimes I think that we think that's the only way into knowing right. Christ. And I think that sometimes if we modeled his actions mm. and just did what Christ did and kind of get over our fear of like, what if I don't say the right thing? Right. Um, but just do what he did. We might also see transformation in our own lives to look more like his. Um, and so I think, and so I think the season celebrates both of those things, not only his words and his teachings, but also what he does and um, where he spends his time. And so I think it's important for us to retell those stories. I think that there are a lot of um, significant ways to do that. Um, I know in our, our services, we rarely will just read the mm. scripture. Um, we usually will enact it in some way 
Um, not like dramatically with like actors and everything, but, <laughs> but um, if there's a scene, like I, I think about um, the, uh, the Samaritan woman who um, came and fell at Jesus' feet and said, my daughter is sick. And Jesus is like, why is that my problem? And she's like, well, um, Jesus says, I have to feed my own people. And she says, well, don't dogs even get mm. the crumbs from the table. And, um, we presented that text once where we read the text three times, um, kind of like Electia Divina, where we were letting the people kind of reflect on it and, and sit in it And then a parade a of dogs came yeah. from the back of the sanctuary. <laughs> uh, wow, oh, we missed that idea. That would um, I've copyrighted that. You can't take it now. <laughs> but uh, we had uh, a... Just one scene, everyone was frozen, but mm. we just posed them. We had a Jesus character. We had disciples who were, like, pulling at him to, like, go the other way. Mm. And then we had the Samaritan woman um, on her knees, like, begging. And we just, it was like a, kind of like a children's storybook, right? Like, just the picture was there. Because they weren't moving. They weren't moving. But the story was being read mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. that, that yeah. visual. And so it just allowed us, one, to, I mean, to see the humanity of Christ and to mm. see, like, the awkwardness of this encounter, but also hearing different people read it yeah, allowed us to hear different interpretations even of how each character said what they said. Um, and so things like that where you're, where you're kind of forcing, helping the congregation to see Jesus as a real human in real human situations mm -hmm. that maybe you yourself have even been in. Um, because that's the wonder is that, if Jesus is a human, he had many of the same experiences we've had. And so we can um, connect with him on a human level. Mm. Um, I also think in referencing stories, I think Epiphany is also this beautiful time for us to tell our own stories. Mm. I think that bringing um, testimony into the service paired with these stories of Jesus, like we start to see like, oh, Jesus is, was, is human. And, um, and acting and like a human and interacting with other humans. But then also like we see today, he is still affecting and interacting with humanity mm. um, in the way that we're, our life is going in the way that um, by his spirit, he's still um, interacting with us. And so uh, I think it's a great time for stories. Well, you touched on something uh, stepping outside of the season of epiphany for a moment. You talked about, several different things that your church does in a worship service. Mm -hmm. And it, a lot of those things you said don't, don't line up with what the typical everyday mm -hmm. uh, services at a lot of churches across America, you know, announcements, a song, uh, a prayer, uh, two more songs, a sermon, and then close it on down mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and, a lot of the things you said, they're not hard to do. Mm -hmm. They're not exceptionally difficult to mm -hmm. put together and plan out. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, you need, you know, four four people to be disciples, a Jesus and a, a woman, who's, mm -hmm. and that's that's just six people, mm -hmm. you know, to, to create that visual and just create something more engaging for worship. Mm -hmm. How can churches, pastors, how can they engage in worship in more creative ways than just the typical everyday worship service? Because 
we've boiled it down a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've we've stripped away some of the historical yeah. liturgical moments um, that used to be in services, mm-hmm. and we've we've relegated worship to songs we sing, mm-hmm. and we've relegated preaching just to the sermon and then that's your service mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah oh man we're in because i'm sure we could talk about this for a long yeah. time <laughs> where it's it's even extra hard i think in this day and age because everyone um puts their services online mm. and so you can see how other people do their services and you can kind of build these preferences like i like what they do mm-hmm. and um and I mean, the other thing is there there are churches that you can watch where it's like every person in their service is like a paid professional. Mm. And then you watch maybe your local church and it's like, why can't we be that good? And it's like, there's re- because you're not professional. Right, it's like, yeah. And that's not bad. Right. Um, and like, there's nothing more beautiful in my mind than seeing people, maybe they're the, the best singers in your congregation, but they're still not that good. But they're they're giving their gifts yeah. and they're trying like, and the only reason we know that maybe they're not that good is because then we can watch elevation worship after right. and, yeah. and we compare it. It's like, we should, never should have been able to compare services like that because this is a completely different um, context. Yeah. Uh, and so it just makes it difficult because we, ha- we are able to form in our mind what an ideal worship service looks like. Mm. And, that ideal is so far beyond what our local context will ever be able to right. do. Um, and it's not their fault that they can't do that. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. most of the people that go to your church are full-time working people who it's like, they don't have time to become professional trained singers. And sometimes know? the pastor is even not fully funded by yeah, a church. Yeah. So he's off doing or she's off doing yeah, work exactly. to supplement that. So I think this is, I'll just say this to try to keep it as short because, yeah, this is a a huge topic. But um, I think a worship service should be your local context's expression of um, remembering the story of God and responding to the story of God, Mm. how you uniquely can. Mm. So I would say try to figure out what skills exist in your congregation and challenge yourself to utilize them in the worship service. Mm. Um, that might mean you don't have a service that looks like everyone else's. Um, but I, I mean, even <laughs> I, just, I just think it's hilarious at our church. We have uh, a handbell ensemble and not because we like tried to do this, but there are like just we had the handbells mm-hmm. and we had a ton of people that wanted to play handbells. And so now one of the parts of my job is to write music for handbells wow. for all these contemporary songs um, and hymns. Like, I mean, because we do music from the, the yeah, past, present and hasn't even been written. <laughs> um, and so I write this music so the handbells can play and they, they love it and our church loves it. But like, my guess is there aren't many churches out there that are doing some like worship songs with handbells, right. you know? Um, but we are because it's part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. That's who's in our congregation. If we didn't use handbells, there are like 25 people that we wouldn't get to include. Right. And now they get to be included. Now so our participants ser- in yeah. worship. 
And so, yes, our service looks different than others, but we also are including more of our people and they feel like worship is actually done by the people, Mm. not perform to them, you know? Mm. And so I would say, and same thing with like scripture presentation, whatever it is, like find, find what your people can do. You to let that be your toolbox. Um, kind of erase like, cause my guess is if, if you said like, okay, plan, plan a service, someone writes down like, okay, so we need a pianist. We need a drummer. We need a, and it's like, well, wait, 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 wait. right. Like let's forget that list. Yeah. Start with what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, there are churches I don't know. I want to be gentle with this, <laughs> but there are churches who will who will ask us to provide them with volunteers. Mm-hmm. Like we need a drummer, or we need a pianist, and 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 I and I get it. I because if especially if you've built like this is kind of what our church is like. But sometimes I I just want to say like you you realize you can have a service without a drummer. Yeah. You can even do music without a drummer. Mm-hmm. Like, and not having a drummer does not mean that you have failed at worship. Right. Some of the most beautiful <laughs> worship I've ever, worship music I've ever heard at a service came from one guy with a guitar and mm-hmm. that was it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just a big fan of find the skills that your people have and figure out a way to utilize them in leading the whole worship service. So what I'm hearing from you is instead of, let's say, the leadership being the pastor and the one or two other people up at the top, crafting the service's identity, rein in the people and ask the people, how can we shape this service Mm -hmm. to look like us mm-hmm. so that we can worship God through it mm-hmm. and we can gather the people together and just shine the glorious light of Christ on the world and sing praises to him and mm-hmm. worship him mm-hmm. unhindered. Yeah. Cause I think so. And I would say in that, like rooting it in the story of God. Right. Um, like I think about a, a, a girl in our church who she's a great dancer um, and I think that some some churches dance is a common thing. They mm-hmm. always say, you know, other churches it's kind of like almost a taboo sort of right. thing. Um, and I I don't want to just randomly like, hey, will you just dance to this song? Right. But I also like I want her to feel like she there's a place for her skill set in corporate worship. Mm-hmm. And so then as we like wrestled with how to do this, we realized, and now it's kind of become a tradition. Every Pentecost, we retell the story of Pentecost. Um, and this, this, the flames show up and people start speaking in other languages. We have her come out and she dances in this, like, it's like a flame. <laughs> it's like a red, like yeah outfit. And she kind of dances this idea of like the spirit, um, falling down mm. on the people. And then she ends like that dance by then coming into the congregation and like either walking or sometimes she dances within the congregation. So this idea that like this, I don't know, in a sense, she's like manifesting the Holy Spirit. Like she's a symbol for the Holy right, Spirit yes. for us. Um, and then she steps into the people and this idea of like, there's there's no longer this separation. Like now the Spirit of God is in us. Yeah. Um, Because there has to be meaning behind what we do in a service. Yeah. We can't can't just take a formula, plug in elements, and hope 
that the Holy Spirit has in some way guided that process right. to happen. Yeah, because now when people, after a service, it's no longer like, wow, you, you're such a great dancer. Mm-hmm. Now it's, wow, I have never experienced a story of Pentecost like that. That was a beautiful picture. And so now yeah. it's about the story of God that has been elevated and promoted because of her skill set, yeah. but it's not about her skill set. Right. You know? So rooting your, be creative, use the skills of your people, but root it in the story of God um, because that's the story we're trying to promote, not anyone's individual skills. So for any pastors out there that are looking to shift things up when it comes to your, your service order, maybe, maybe think about diving into your congregation, seeing what's there, Mm -hmm. seeing what talents and skills Mm -hmm. that God has blessed them with and, and root them in the Christian story, root them in, in in this beautiful narrative that comes through the mm-hmm. Christian year and yeah and see what comes out yeah and Epiphany is a great season to start this too because it is so much about this connection between God and humanity mm-hmm. um, so to say like yeah he he invites us to use our humanity in worship yeah. <laughs> this isn't just a, uh, an intellectual exercise right um, but our bodies can be involved in this so yeah and the more holistic it is the more engaging, memorable, and just just all around better it becomes mm-hmm. when we engage every part of what it means to be human. Yeah. So, yeah. beautiful. Jumping back into Epiphany, um, we've touched on it in other podcasts, the colors. Mm-hmm. What yeah. is the color of Epiphany? Yeah. So, the color is green. Uh, it is the color of growth. Um, and... Both seasons that are green, Epiphany and then Ordinary Time that is the last season, um, I always like to refer to them as like vines. They just fill up the space mm. that they have. Yeah. Um, and so because those two seasons, like the length of them are always short or long, determined by the other seasons. And so, um, yeah, they just kind of are filled up and uh, they, uh, the color is reminding us that some sort of growth is happening. Um as I'd said, I, I think maybe in the first podcast, the Christian year is broken into two cycles. The first is the cycle of light, and then the second is the cycle of life. So Epiphany is the last season of the cycle of light. Mm. Um, each cycle has three seasons in it, and there's they start with a season of anticipation, um, and then a season of uh, realization, and then a season of implication. So, like, in the cycle of light, if we had light, we have um, Advent as the season of anticipation, and then Christmas is the realization of that promise, like, it's really here, and then Epiphany is the season of implication. It's like, mm. now that he's here, what what does that mean? And so, the colors match that. All the seasons of implication are these seasons that are green and growth. Um, transformation is always, like, a, a theme within that. Um you mentioned burning your Christmas tree. Uh, some of this, my wife would say she just likes the lights and the tree in the living room. But um, in, in our household, to kind of celebrate the entire cycle, we we will actually, we put our Christmas tree up after Christ the King Sunday, which is the last Sunday of the Christian year. So the next Sunday is Advent. So our tree is up from the first Sunday of Advent through the end of, of epiphany so oh. we'll take it down so we have to have a fake tree because a real tree right yeah <laughs> it'll be a um, really sad charlie brown christmas tree. yeah so we actually 
we have the Ash Wednesday service and then we come home ashes on our forehead and we take down our Christmas tree. Wow. Yeah. So this year, <laughs> it's a long time <laughs> that this tree has to be up. Um, hey, some people see that as amazing. Some <laughs> people say, keep it up all year round. I know, right? Um, but we just felt like it's appropriate since it's the cycle of light where light enters darkness that we that we help ourselves remember like this whole cycle. Um, well, and it's got a beautiful, it's got a beautiful meaning behind it. Yeah. Right. So, Cause it's not just like you said, liking the, the pretty tree and the pretty lights, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's about what it means mm-hmm. and, and the implications behind yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you've ever seen videos of Christmas trees, uh, catching on fire, but <laughs> whoa, there's a, there's a video, there's like mm. five or six, uh, people in a neighborhood put their Christmas trees into somebody's backyard mm. and light them on fire, <laughs> and it's like taller than a three, four story building. The flames go so high. So well, maybe that's maybe we should do a burning of Christmas tree on Ash Wednesday and use those ashes in that service. Whoa, that, which isn't far fetched because historically they would use the palm branches from Palm, from palm Sunday, Sunday yeah. and the next year they'd use those. But I mean, we could use Christmas trees. Hey, there we go. If you need <laughs> if you need a new church tradition, there you go. Just have a uh, a January uh, 6th Christmas tree burn to get ashes for Ash Wednesday. You'll never be in short supply of ashes yeah, then. Yeah. Um so when it, when digging into the season of Epiphany even just a little bit more, the day of Epiphany mm-hmm. talks about the baptism of mm-hmm. Jesus like we've talked about already. Um, but there's a special way that uh, you can engage with this idea of baptism during this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something called remembering your baptism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I was in college, I'd never, well, when I was in high school, I'd never heard about this idea, never heard about this, you know, it, it when you first hear it, it seems kind of like, oh, okay, this is a little strange. But when you really dig into its meaning and and think about it, it's such a beautiful reminder of, of what it is. So without me spoiling it, what is <laughs> what does it mean to remember your baptism? Yeah, and I'll try to keep this contained because honestly, like the topic of baptism is, I mean, it's a huge conversation that the church has been having for 2,000 years. Um, and some of it controversial. Yeah, and and I think, and I'll just say that what you have been brought up with understanding about baptism in the evangelical tradition is um, is is true. Like, don't feel like you've been lied to or right. anything. But there is a lot more that uh, I feel like often evangelicals kind of just we don't talk about right because we we boil baptism down to just that 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 quippy phrase uh, an outward sign of an inward transformation mm-hmm. it's the dunk and then we're we've moved past baptism altogether mm-hmm. that it that even um baptism is kind of your sign right of your devotion to to god and there's something i mean there's something very beautiful about that and and it's beautiful that the church can offer um, something to to someone who wants to make that commitment and wants to do it publicly. I mm. think that's a that's a really honorable thing. Um, uh, historically, there is more emphasis on baptism being God's work, mm. um, and that it is a um, visible sign of invisible grace mm. from God. 
Um, and so that baptism is is less um, in an expression of our choice and more um, the receiving of God's invitation to be a part of his family. Mm. Either way, I think remembering your baptism is significant, however you approach it. Um, but uh, one way that I like to understand baptism, though, is this idea of when I was born, I did not get to choose my last name. Mm. I was Daniel Reif because that's what I was told I was. Mm. <laughs> and being a Reif, there were expectations put on me that a Reif acts a certain way. Mm-hmm. I had the choice as I grew up to follow that rule mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or I could choose to not act like a rife and kind of make a mockery of the name. Yeah. I think baptism, um, I think that's a great way to understand baptism that it is, it is more this invitation. God's inviting us to be a part of it, our, his family. Um, he's branding us with his name to be a, a, a little Christ, mm. a Christian. Um, and so now we bear the name of Christ and we, that has a high responsibility to it. Yeah. Um, it is not just this one moment, like, hey, your name's Christ, Christian, you know, um, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. But this is a lifelong expression right. of what it means to be a Christian. You have to live up to the name. Yeah. And you can have, you have the choice not to. Right. But whether you, because I, I mean, there are people who I know, they were baptized and they were like, ah, it didn't really mean anything. Mm. And like, now I'm really sad about that. Like, I want to get rebaptized. And kind of the idea is like, well, actually, like when, you, when you've been given the name, you have the name. Right. And maybe you didn't live up to the name. And there is like some sort of repentance or even some outward sign that needs to happen mm-hmm. to reaffirm like, no, I like this name that I have, like I, I want to live into that more. Remembering your baptism is a great way to do that. Um so what, so what does remembering your baptism yeah. look like in a service? Yeah. So I've seen services where, um, and been a part of services where they, in the service, they actually have, um, like little, I mean, bowls of water, fonts of water, mm-hmm. kind of like, I don't, I mean, I don't know how churches, um, how every church does communion, but we often, we have like stations that people go to, to receive the, the elements. It would be like that. We would just have bowls of water there instead. Um, and you go up and you dip your fingers in the water. Some people place, um, put their fingers on their forehead then to feel the water more like drip down their face a little bit. Um, and it's this, but, but what we do, like our church, we just have, um, bowls of water at all the exits every Sunday. Mm. So as people leave and a little sign that says you're invited to remember your baptism. So that as you leave and you're sent into the world, you remember that you're sent with the name of Christ, Mm. um, that you bear that, um, and that responsibility to some people will only know Christ through you. Yeah. Um, that's a high calling, but that's what baptism is. And so um, whether it's like an actual element in the service where you take time in the service or it's something at, a, at like a benediction, and it may be just on a particular Sunday, maybe you have baptisms in your service one Sunday, and that's the Sunday you put bowls out somewhere. Mm. You say, as you leave today, Many of you have been baptized already. And yeah. so to remember that, to remember that um, you have been invited into God's family, that his grace is still at work in your life, and that you're still um, 
like submitting to that call, you're invited to remember your baptism by just placing your hand in the water and, and remembering um, that water is uh, a sign of cleansing, mm-hmm. but also of life. Yeah. Um, and so remember your baptism as you're sent into the world. So th- there's different ways you could do it, but that's kind of the idea that um, we don't need a, a, a rebaptism. The grace has already been given to right. us. The name has been given to us, but sometimes we need to remember it. Right. Um, and so, I mean, you know, as the song says, we're prone to wander. Mm-hmm. You know, we're prone. We're prone to uh, be pulled away, be to walk away to, and it, always having a reminder. Because isn't that just what the Christian year is? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a reminder. It's a it's a retelling of the greatest story ever told yeah. to put us back on track, to, yeah. to line us back up. And remembering your baptism simply is that. Mm-hmm. It's a way to remember the grace, mm-hmm. remember the, the stories that are all around that, that baptism mm-hmm. and, you know, the moments for you of yeah. salvation and things like yeah. that. Yeah, because remember when, I mean— I think a lot of times if we if we're baptized and then something happens in our life, we sin and we're so ashamed. It's like maybe the baptism wasn't real. And it's like, no, no, no. Like go back to Jesus's baptism. The father said to him, you are my son. Mm -hmm. And in you or in you bring me great joy. This idea that our baptism is not based on our credibility or our righteousness. Like our baptism is a sign of God's faithfulness to us. Mm that he calls us his children. Um, and so we remember it to say, even though I was baptized at this point and then maybe I made a huge blunder, I can remember my baptism. And in that, I mean, I'm repenting. Yeah. And, and but recalling that, no, he, he said, like, I'm a part of his family yeah. and I don't deserve that, but I'm going to remember that because he, he said it and it's true. And <laughs> that's, that's a really significant thing, but it puts the work on that it's God's work right. more than my own. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the idea is that God's grace doesn't mess up. God's grace doesn't fail. Mm-hmm. We might fail, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that the grace that has brought us to this point in any way has failed us. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. f- we're fallen, broken people yeah. who need reminders, who need putting back together, who need this constant... Uh, this constant working as as the potter uh, mm-hmm. reshapes us mm-hmm. and continues to mold us and make us new. Um, and remembering your baptism simply is that. Yeah. It, is, it is a way to be shaped. Mm-hmm. It is a way to be brought back um, to remember what the grace yeah. that was that was poured out uh, mm-hmm. for you was was yeah. all about. Um, so as we land our plane on the season of epiphany is there anything that you can think about that you would like to share with people called into ministry at the high school level college level even been ministering for years and years the season of epiphany when it comes to ministry mm-hmm. well beyond uh telling stories and trying to telling stories of Christ, but also trying to um, tell stories within your own congregation and allowing people to share. Uh, The season of Epiphany doesn't have like, 
I mean, it has special Sundays, mm. but there aren't, like, Lent has Ash Wednesday, so it's like a special service where it's not on Sunday. It doesn't have holiday markers. Yeah, right. It's just kind of this, yeah, ever-changing lengthwise mm-hmm. season. Um, but I would say, I'd challenge you to, of all the seasons, this is one where a special service, um, as in, like, gathering at the church for something, is actually um, something better might actually be to do special service where you're actually serving people, mm. um, where you're out in your community uh, doing things. You're doing the down the mountain yes. stuff. Yeah, where you're, um, yeah, you're seeing Jesus spend time with ordinary people. And I think the season of Epiphany says spend time with ordinary people and and allow uh your presence and the spirit of God in you uh, to form them and allow the spirit of God that's in them to form you. And um, yeah, I would, I would say uh, it's a great season to put yourself in the community Mm. intentionally um, and, and see what happens. Yeah. And I would say epiphany being the wonderful season. Don't forget the wonder Mm -hmm. always, Remember the wonder that is Christ. Mm-hmm. Always remember the wonder of what he did, what he continues to do, and always keep that in the front of our minds. And that goes beyond just people called. That's everyone. Mm-hmm. Always remember the wonder and and how the Christian life, the Christian story, the Christian year is full of wonder. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sitting down and talking about the season of Epiphany with me. Uh, it's a lot better than the Christmas episode for you, I'm sure, because I don't sound like uh, I'm about to hack up a lung or anything like that. But but thanks for continuing to come back, and we look forward to diving into the season of life, the cycle of life, um, in the next three uh, seasons of the Christian year. Yeah. So uh, I want to thank the band Caledonia for providing all the music you hear on all of the Called Collective podcasts. I want to thank... The other called collective podcasts, uh, one of them being the Coffee and Calling podcast, where we sit down and we talk through somebody's calling story. Uh, that's hosted by a couple of our master students here at Indiana Wesleyan, Griffin Harris and Dan Wetlore. It's it's hilarious. It's full of coffee and it's full of amazing stories of how God has called individuals to serve him in his kingdom as pastors, missionaries, and whatever. So definitely encourage you to go and listen to that if you haven't already. And I want to thank Indiana Wesleyan for being a big sponsor of these podcasts and the Called Collective in general. So thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. 